welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hey everyone, I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and we're excited to bring you another in our series of interviews with top leaders in health IT. And today's guest is Jared Jeffrey. He's founder at Healthcare. Welcome, Jared. Hey, how's it going, John? Good to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the program. I know the entire HITMIC, which is now Sway Health Community, is excited to see you as well, uh, since you've been a longtime member of our healthcare marketing community. But I love now where we're talking about you launching a new company. So I'm just so excited to have you here. And I know everyone wants to hear more about your story, but let's start right there. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and this journey to start the company Healthcare. Yeah, well... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start with maybe a bit of, of uh, sizzle and then we can work our way to it. So about a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, and obviously the thing that you do after being diagnosed with brain cancer is you start a company, right? That's yeah, a healthcare company makes sense. <laughs> it's the most logical uh, step, but no. There's so a few people have done that, right? Uh, savvy co-op, she had a brain tumor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, and I'll tell you, it's, it's because you get to a point where you realize that there's no security. Uh, and I don't mean in a technical way or, or things, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I mean, in actual life, there's no guarantees. And so, you know, for me, it was, how do I make each day matter now that I have a, a very real uh, understanding of the fact that at some point I don't get another one, you know? And so I started, uh, kind of looking at healthcare about a decade ago, I, I worked on getting disabled people benefits through social security. And so the biggest thing that we would do is, is for six months to 24 months, we were kind of shaping these cases to the point where you could take them to an administrative law judge and you could get them benefits. Most of the time we would get denied. And the biggest reason we would get denied is because they didn't have medical evidence. And the truth was these, these claims, they always had medical evidence. It was just a paper record buried in the hospital, you know, basement a hundred miles away. And somebody that's disabled and, and looking for disability benefits doesn't have a car, can't go pay the, the printing fees. And mind you, this is 10 years ago. So I'm walking around with a supercomputer in my pocket and I'm like, how is this still the case? And so that was kind of what kicked me off to, to recognizing that there was a problem with, with healthcare. Um, and I got lucky that class research was literally in my backyard. I, I pestered them until they employed me and spent a while there kind of learning the industry and learning what, what was, was going on. And, um, but then, yeah, a year and a half ago got kind of knocked on my butt and said, okay, if I, if I'm going to go do something awesome, because I'm not going to waste my life doing something that isn't, What's that going to be? And that was the the impetus for health carry was to say, well, let's let's go fix problems in the industry that I've dedicated my career to. So, well, I want to walk back to that year and a half ago, and, and I think the Sway Health community would want me to ask this question, and just because you know you posted on LinkedIn, you've been pretty transparent. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you can, they can go read the whole story, right? But, you know, I mean, a year and a half ago, you were giving months to live as, as a, you know, as I understand it. And yeah. So, so how did that go down and where are you at today? And how are you doing health wise? 
Yeah. So without uh, giving me your record, no HIPAA violations. (laughs) We're not a covered entity. It's okay. (laughs) Um, No, the the truth of the matter was I had no symptoms for the length of the time I had the tumor until about a month prior to running into the ER. And it was started with migraines and then bigger migraines. And then uh, one day I uh, was up in in Salt Lake, you know, about a half hour away from home and uh, was was doing some meetings and started to uh, lose feeling in both of my hands and started to lose hearing in in both ears. And I said, you know, I'm just going to drive home and take a nap. Like that was the level of normalcy bias. um, And I don't recommend anybody ever do that. So I stayed in the slow lane and and made it all the way home on, on I-15, which heaven forbid, if you've driven I-15 in rush hour, uh, it's a miracle I got back. Yeah. But my wife took me to the ER. And at that point, the, the pain was such that they just kind of snowed me. And, and uh, that's ER speak for, uh, he looks like he's miserable. Let's just make him sleep. Um, and then the rest of the story, I had to get, you know, relayed by my wife, who at the time was was eight months pregnant with our son, um, our second son. And, uh, you know, they they told her he's got a tumor the size of a lemon just kind of hang, hanging out in the side of his head. And uh, anytime we see a tumor this big that presents acutely, which is what they thought it was at the time, mm-hmm. uh, that's a stage four glioblastoma has to be. Um, and with that diagnosis, you know, there are miracle stories, but most of the time that's a, that's a death sentence. Um, and so they rushed me off to the ER. We, you know, got meds and scans and eventual surgery and and the whole nine yards, but it took them about a month to do the genetic testing on my tumor. And what they found was, uh, my tumor is about as weird as I am. Um, so it's, it's, uh, (laughs) a rare subset of brain tumors that uh, are very slow growing, which is why it got so big without me noticing. Cause my brain was very accommodating, just kind of scooched out of the way. And, uh, but the, uh, the end result was this, this large tumor that they were able to remove most of. And then I got to do the, the fun song and dance with chemo and radiation and uh, back and forth on that. But um, the diagnosis that I have means I'm, I'm not looking at, six to 12 months, I'm looking at more than a decade, at least, you know, and with advances in technology, I, I fully expect to be the crotchety old man chasing off his lawn, you know, at 80, so. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, I mean, what a great outcome for, you know, a pretty traumatic experience. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. And, and I love how it inspired you to say, what do I want to do that's meaningful? And so let's talk about that. You know, you launched a company. I love that your wife's involved as well. I saw that, you know, yep. but health carry, what is it? Yeah. So health carry sits right at the cross section of interoperability, digital identity, and cybersecurity. Um, and the way that we sit kind of in the middle of all of those three very big, heavy topics is that we look at a new way to implement trust in data exchange. So my co-founder, chief architect, uh, Sam Smith, um, who's actually my father-in-law, invented this technology. So um, I actually don't consider it a negative that we're related because uh, he's smart enough that I wouldn't have access to that (laughs) level of genius unless I had married into it. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) And uh, so he's he's gotten a few other companies that have, have run this technology out in other industries. And over the, the dinner table, uh, you know, one Sunday, 
he was explaining Carry, which is the key event receipt infrastructure. It's a new cryptographer, cryptography that uh, helps people to verify not just the identity of someone that they're doing exchange with, but the integrity of the data that they're exchanging. And so he starts talking about this. And, you know, I, I literally stand up at the dinner table. And I'm like, we're calling it health carry because I love puns and it matches the acronym that he's selected for the technology. But that was really the, the start for us to say, okay, let's get this thing moving and find a place that it fits in healthcare. And what we found is, um, you know, there was a, a, an article uh, uh, actually in your publication very recently, and I don't remember who wrote it, but the, the opening of the article said something to the effect of, you know, talking about privacy and security in healthcare is a tricky situation because um, saying that you need to improve it implies that it's not good enough. And we don't want to do that. Um, and I actually disagree with the, the author of that, that guest post, if I could remember who it was. Um, no, we, we absolutely do want to do a better job with, with cybersecurity, with privacy in, in healthcare. Um, and so that's really where our tech is, is can we make data exchange actually secure? How do we do that? By securing digital identity. And so that's where we sit is kind of in the crossroad of those three industries. Interesting. So how is health carry different than some of the other interoperability options out there? And, and where does it play, you know, with the other existing protocols like HL7 or FHIR? You know, talk about the interaction there and where you see health carry fitting within that. Yeah, totally. So um, health carry relies on, again, this, this cryptographic protocol called carry, which allows you to basically containerized data. The best way to describe it is maybe a, a really boring metaphor from the physical world, but think about physical shipping containers and what they did to the supply chain. So uh, before shipping containers existed, it was like $56 in today's money to unload just one ton of goods uh, in transit. And then shipping containers came on the scene. They made things more portable, more secure, easy to transit, and they didn't change any of the supply chain, right? That nowhere uh, new was going to, it was just cheaper to get there. Um, and we do the same thing with, with digital data. So, you know, we play with HL7 with Fire. We, we don't have a problem with any of the standards because what we're doing is just putting those into this new type of cryptographic container that allows you to ship to anybody. So it's it's peer-to-peer -peer data transfer at a zero trust level. So you don't have to rely on a, a third party like a certificate authority to say, hey, John is who John says he is. Instead, you trust the math of the cryptography that says, yes, the person that, that uh, sent you this container has the authority to do so and the data hasn't changed in transit. Interesting. So who do you have to get on board for this to work? I mean, do you need a network of people that want to share data to all come on board? Or could like a hospital health system do it on their own? Or, you know, who needs to be involved for that trust, you know, to happen? Yeah. So, I mean, ideally, we would like everybody to see the merits of this and, and chase us around saying, hey, let's implement. Um, but the truth is, it's it's anywhere data is exchanged and you can take that as big or as small as you want it to be. So if it's a high risk data flow and it's you and one other individual, you can establish a carry connection between those two um, and, and grow from there. In fact, that's typically when we look at, you know, where does this technology fit? It's with what we would call a queen bee. So uh, anywhere the queen bee goes, the rest of the hive follows. So a lot of times there are organizations, like let's say you're 
an HIE and you're the only one in the state and you're not publicly run, so you're, you're kind of a private game, um, you can kind of set the terms of how you want to do data exchange. And I think in a lot of cases, you want to set the terms of how you do your data exchange because uh, sitting in the in the nexus of data transfer like that, you're you're at risk of of any one of those uh, organizations connecting with you being an attack vector for a hack, right? Um, so they spend a lot of time and energy on this sort of thing, and and that's a good place for us to come in and say we can easily up upsell or up upscale the security that you have available to you using this carry technology. Interesting. So who do you see as the target customers? Is it the HIEs that could buy it? Is it the health systems, insurance, uh, you know, health IT yeah. companies? Who, who are the customers? That yeah. you're well, and it's interesting you mentioned insurers because, um, you know, there's two, there's kind of two things you think of when you think insurers. One is payers. Um, and while we'd love to talk to the payers, I don't think that's where we go first. Um, but the other is insurers who are actually insuring health systems. Um, and I, I've spoken with a few uh, project managers at a couple of the insurance companies that cover cybersecurity fraud, and they are walking back their insurance coverage. Uh, one of the guys I spoke with said it's it's a 10% year over year that they are just blanket, not engaging with insuring health systems. Um, so for a lot of us, a lot of the the value that we drive is is for those small to mid-sized health systems that don't have uh, a university attached to them that provides kind of unending resource in terms of uh, talented bodies that can do the cybersecurity. So we can come in and we can kind of sassify the security infrastructure. So you've got one IT guy, you've got three IT guys, we can implement this thing across your data exchange and you don't have to blow up your budget. You don't have to blow up your IT department to get things done. And do you see this as a replacement of another solution or it's something that layers on their existing infrastructure? So it depends on what their existing infrastructure is. I would say that most of the time we don't have an interest in, in replacing what you're already doing. We think that there's a lot of effective tech out there. This is another layer that helps you sleep at night, honestly. Um, and in a lot of ways uh, reduces the risk that a lot of smaller organizations are forced to take because they just don't have the resource to do the bigger, better, more expensive options that are in the industry. Is that your next marketing campaign? The sleep at night calculator? <laughs> you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. How do you calculate the ROI of sleep at night? <laughs> yeah. Once I figure it out, your check will be in the mail because that's, that's, the campaign, that's really interesting, actually. But, um, you know, uh, speaking more broadly, you know, I look at this and, you know, you obviously worked at class for a lot of time, you know, and you know, you've chosen to start a company kind of in this interoperability and you're right, it, it's almost more identity management space, uh, I'd say, than interoperability. But do you think that these healthcare organizations really want to solve this data interoperability problem or, you know, how, how do you see that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And I would, I would say, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull from my class lexicon of knowledge and and uh, the the interviews that we did when I was there, and I'll tell you that the answer is yes and no, and it depends on not even just which organizations you're talking to, but who inside those organizations you're talking to. Um, and I think that the the truth of the matter is, 
depending on what the data is that you're exchanging. So for example, I, I spoke with a CMIO friend of mine uh, about a week ago. And one of the things that he was talking about was, um, you know, he's like, I'm happy to exchange data that's going to improve patient care, you know, and he, he started, you know, way back when as an ER doc and, you know, came up through the ranks and is now kind of running things in a lot of ways. And um, he never lost that spark of healthcare is about the patient. And so for him, it was, I absolutely want to exchange data that's going to impact patient care and solve a lot of the big problems that we see. At the same time, uh, you know, he gets into negotiations with his payers um, and he has to be really, really kind of careful about the data that he's exchanging with those payers because sometimes if if he doesn't do it well those numbers if if they were wrong but everybody trusted them or whatever it is will come back in negotiations the next time they have to to sit at the table um and so i think that it's it's a really fraught problem where if you look at the patient side everybody wants to exchange no one's going to argue with that if you look at the business side there's a hundred different roadblocks that, that are preventing organizations from going all in, you know? Yeah. Well, and you're right. I mean, as patients, I would actually say not only do we want it to be done, but we, many patients, those that don't work in healthcare in particular, probably think it is happening. <laughs> They're ignorant to the fact that it isn't. What's fascinating is you can almost ask the same question about security. Like, do healthcare organizations really want to solve the problem of security, which you're working to address? And the answer is, yeah, they want you to be able to sleep at night, you know, but, but you know, it, it, is it a focus of what they want to do? No, but they have to, right? Like, it, that's, a, I think that's challenging. Well, and I think, I think up to this point, you could kind of get away with, um, it's a cost of doing business. And I, I think we still live in that world a little bit where health systems just say, yeah, I'll, I'll write the check to the insurer. You know, I'll pay my, my premium every month on that. And uh, when, when the breach eventually comes, because we, we live in a, a when, not if world of healthcare attacks, they just say, you know, the, the insurance will pay out. We'll, you know, we'll do a, a reset on our systems and we'll move forward. And the truth is, I, I think we're fast approaching a world where, cybersecurity attacks, cyber breaches can't just be a cost of doing business anymore. I mean, if the insurers are walking back their policies because their actuarial tables are saying, nope, this doesn't make us money, yep. and we're, we're living with health systems that aren't insured, these breaches start to sink systems. Um, you know, and I think in some ways we're right on the edge of that. And so uh, as much as I would love to have everybody just be comfortable with the status quo, we've got to make some changes because otherwise the changes are going to be made to us. Yeah. Well, I love your ambition uh, in uh, launching your own company. I, I, I admire anyone that starts a company and uh, you know, I, I definitely understand your passion and I know that uh, we're all rooting for you and, and, and especially how this story kind of rolled out. So appreciate you uh, taking time to share. Where can people go to learn more about health carry? Yeah, so websites fine, healthkeri.com. And then uh, I'm, as you mentioned earlier, I'm pretty transparent on LinkedIn. So just shoot me a message and, you know, we can shoot the breeze anytime. And uh, John, if uh, you find anybody that wants to join us uh, doing some disc golf, 
just bring them aboard. Like Utah's always open. So that, that, that's where the real uh, work happens. You know, I, it's funny you say that because I was in Utah one time. I connected with a health IT vendor, a former class guy, actually. And we went skiing and we were having this conversation about the industry. And there was a third little kid, teenager or something that was next to like 10, 12 years old. And, uh, you know, he, after we finished, the, you know, there was a lull in the conversation. The guy leaned forward. He said, Son, this is how you should do business. <laughs> so, hey, you're right. We're both open to doing business over disc golf. That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Jared, well, thanks so much for telling us your story and talking about the start of healthcare. I'm sure we'll be following with rapt attention to see how things go and how things evolve. And thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting application. Thanks, Jared.